Oftentimes in the second reading at Sunday Mass, we hear from the 13 letters of St. Paul that are found in the New Testament, 10 of which were written to whole groups of people, the Romans, the Thessalonians, the Galatians, the Corinthians, the Ephesians. Three of them are written just to individuals. We heard one of them two Sundays ago, the letter to Philemon, third shortest book in the Bible, where Paul was writing to Philemon a Christian to release Onesimus, his slave who had become a Christian after he escaped Philemon's grasp. Paul wrote two letters to Timothy. We hear from the first one of them today, and they were some of the last letters that Paul ever wrote. During his 20 years of preaching the gospel, he was put in prison three different times. This is the last time. And that's because, for all intents and purposes, he's on death row. Paul knows this. He knows that he will soon wear the martyr's crown. He is not afraid to do so. In fact, he is glad because Paul looked around at this world and he thought, what a mess this is. This isn't heaven. I want to be with Jesus. And so he longed for that martyrdom so he could be set free. So great was his faith and belief in the resurrection. It's interesting to note, however, what Paul writes to Timothy, a young bishop in Cyprus, that island in the middle of the Mediterranean. He said, you should pray for kings and all those in authority over you. This is the way to live a tranquil life. The emperor is about to put Paul to death, and Paul is suggesting that that man needs prayers, and he means it. This is also appropriate for us in the present day. Some people don't care for this president. Others don't care for the last president. Some people aren't thrilled with this pope. Other people didn't like the last pope. But whether we choose these people or vote for them or not, whether they represent our personal views or not, we need to pray for them because they have burdens and responsibilities we can't even begin to imagine. We need to pray for them because their successes are our successes. Their failures will cause hardship for everyone. Paul was willing to pray and encourage others to pray for the very emperor who was soon to put him to death, perhaps because he believed a person that has that much power in his fingertips to take life away, that person needs prayers for conversion. That's something that we all need to do. Instead of just having enemies and having grudges against them, we need to pray for the people that we disagree with, not in a patronizing way, but pray that we all might find things that unite us instead of the things that divide us because we live in a world so heavily divided by the things that are keeping us apart and driving us further away from one another. Yes, we need to pray for our kings and those in authority over us. Amos, he was pretty upset with the kings and the authority over the Jewish people 750 years before the coming of Christ because from the king on up to the last man at the bottom of that social ladder, everybody seemed to be disregarding God, his word, and his law. Amos was very content to be a shepherd of sheep, but the Lord called him to serve a new flock, and that was Israel, a people of stiff necks and hardened hearts. Amos is calling them out in the first reading today because he noticed they come to the temple on the Sabbath day, they go through all the motions, they say the prayers, they put some money in the treasury, but he noticed even while they're there in the holiest place on earth, the money changers are cheating the pilgrims and they're sinning right in God's house. Sinners are welcome in God's house, they shouldn't be sinning while they are there. And because of this extortion that's going on all around him in plain sight, Amos told them, God sees everything you do, and he will not forget it. The nice thing is, he is willing to forgive it. He may not forget, but he is willing to forgive. And he does that through his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
whose centuries after Amos felt very much the same way at the beginning of John's gospel when he goes into the temple and he saw the money changers there cheating all the pilgrims coming from the villages. And what did he do? He made a whip out of cords and he threw them out of there, purifying God's house. You will not do those sinful things in here. For Jesus, that was the dwelling place of God, the holiest place on earth. Nowhere on this planet did he feel closer to the Father in heaven than in the temple, and he would not allow desecration to occur in that place. When we find Jesus today, he's getting closer and closer to the cross. In Luke's gospel, Jesus' journey to the cross takes up nine chapters. We've been covering it all summer long. It started in chapter 9. Now we're in the 16th chapter of Luke. Jesus has only three chapters to go before he begins his passion and the Passover. Along the way, many miracles, a lot of teaching and preaching and parables. And today it's the parable of the unworthy steward, someone who was very irresponsible with his master's wealth, just as the prodigal son in last Sunday's gospel squandered his father's inheritance. Now this man realizes he's about to be fired. He's about to be put out. He can't change that. He cannot change what's already happened in the past. So he wants to focus on the future. And that is why he decides to rewrite the promissory notes. Everybody in that village owed the master something. He's cutting their debts in half. So that when the master fires him, couldn't be more mad at him than he already is, these people are going to welcome this unworthy, irresponsible man into their homes because he made their burden lighter and easier. Jesus isn't so much commending the fact that he's forgiving debts that are not his. Instead, he's commending the man for ceasing to focus on a past he can't undo, redo, instead of focusing on the future his destiny, storing up for himself treasure in heaven, something that all of us are called to do, but we spend an awful lot of our time reliving the past, the worst things we've done, the worst things that have been done to us, all those grudges and resentments of past misdeeds, and yet none of that is helping us on our way to the kingdom. Instead, it's dragging us down. It's a drag on our sails. Jesus, in this parable, as he's slimming down to be strong enough to take on our greatest fears and foes at Calvary on the cross, is telling us we should keep our eyes on the prize. We should be living for heaven here on earth. We shouldn't be holding on to all the debts that other people owe to us. We should be forgiving as we have been forgiven. That's the real essence hidden behind this message. This man owed a huge debt. He's forgiving other people their debts. We have a huge debt. It's called sin. Jesus has already paid the fine. He's paid the fine once and for all, forever and for everyone. And we can't pay it back, nor is he asking us to. What we can do is pay it forward. And that means trying to be merciful to others the way God has been merciful to us. In that respect then, if we cannot serve two masters, God and mammon, mammon being a biblical word for riches or the evils of this world, if we're gonna serve God and him alone and love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he'll remind us always and everywhere to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love our neighbor as he has loved us, to forgive our neighbor as he has forgiven us. 